Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our results presentation for 2021. I guess we don't normally spend too much time on this slide in relation to the presentation team, but you'll notice we have a new member of the group with us today. It's my pleasure to welcome David Cockshot to the Board of Directors. David, would you like to say a few words to uh, introduce yourself? Uh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, delighted to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, been with uh, Inspired uh, coming off two years now. Um, very, uh, very happily uh, settled into the uh, the role and really pleased to be uh, given the opportunity to uh, to join the board. Um, I say a couple, couple of years with Inspired, but um, 30 odd years in uh, in energy, mainly from a supply uh, business side, but also consultancy roles. So looking forward to uh, bringing some of my experience to, uh, to bear with uh, Inspired. Great to have you on board. Okay, guys, so in terms of actually as we go through the presentation, lots of things have been changing in terms of the evolution to Inspired PLC. And what I wanted to do was make sure we also reminded ourselves of the purpose of the business. So we help corporate businesses deliver net zero and respond to climate change whilst controlling their costs. And that bit about controlling their costs is really important because there's lots of ideology and lots of intellectualization about how we might manage response to climate change. Our job is to make that practical for corporate businesses and cost effective in the way it can be implemented. We operate in three divisions, the energy solutions division, the ESG division and software. Energy, which is the 95% of the business that you all have known for many years. ESG being our organic entry into what is a very exciting space. And software being the business that develops our proprietary software that underpins our technology-enabled service. In terms of operational highlights for FY21, the group made significant progress both operationally and financially. We've remained focused throughout the challenges of COVID in H1 which led to some consumption reductions into the assurance services division and also prevented access to site from an optimization service perspective. We managed our, our time through that pragmatically and prudently so that we were well placed when we could regain access to site when um, the COVID bounce back started in H2, that we could really um, start to capitalize on that demand for optimization services, which help our clients deliver net zero um, and reduce carbon. To that end, delighted to say that the Optimization Service Division managed to achieve record revenues for 2021 overall. We've broadened our customer base in the UK from 3,400 to 3,500 clients and ultimately, what going into 2022, see consumption levels stabilising as we thought they would. Really pleased to have delivered a million of revenue from our ESG division in its first full year of operations. ESG is a really exciting space. The, um, the need for organisations to be transparent in their disclosures, the demand to move to net zero carbon has really allowed us to prove concepts on their services um, and be, um, be very pleased with, with kind of how that's out there in the FY21. We continue to deliver modules in our software solutions business and ultimately the third parties utilising our software increased by 20%. I think overall, whilst kind of ESG and net zero carbon is a big part of our thesis in service provision to our customers, it's also important that we are leading the way 
um, in making such disclosures. And as such, 2021 saw the first publication of our TCFD, Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures report, and also our first ESG report in accordance with GRI principles. We also retained our green economy mark status during 2021. Clearly, as we've been through FY21 and the second half, the energy crisis has um, delivered a, a number of, um, of challenges. And going into 22, that has been exacerbated by the situation in Ukraine and obviously the abhorrent behaviour of the Russian regime. However, we've continued to work hard with clients to make sure we help them manage their way through this crisis and um, I'm very pleased to, to say that we've um, started well in Q1 22. FY21 also gave us an opportunity to deliver further acquisitions to the group. So you remember that we acquired BusinessWise and GEM, represented the final deployment of the raise that we did in July 2020. Both are integrating well and performing in line with expectations. Post period, we've completed the acquisition of Digital Energy, which is uh, purchased out of one of our incubator investments. Digital Energy is a piece of software that competes with our primary software in relation to monitoring and targeting solutions, Caro. And from that perspective, we're really pleased to bring that business on board. And also, it represents another 30,000 additional meter points, which come into our portfolio. Um, and from that perspective, that gives us more opportunity to cross-sell those ESG and optimization services into those particular clients. I think finally in FY21, we've taken the opportunity to strengthen our board, Richard Logan becoming chairman. Delighted to welcome Sangeet Shah and Diane Walker as independent non-executive directors. And obviously you've all just met Dave in relation to um, increasing our executive bandwidth, which was really designed to leave us well-placed to deliver our growth thesis over the next two, three years. What I'd like to do now is hand over to Paul to talk you through the financial performance of the group um, and uh, bring that to life for you. Thank you, Mark. So a milestone year for the group in terms of financial reporting. It's the first year we report under um, the, the new divisional structure. So effectively three operating divisions, which breaks down into four financial reporting segments. Um, before we go into kind of the, the segmental breakdown, if we touch on some of the group highlights in the year. So very much a year of recovery, rebound and acceleration as the year progressed. So 47% increase in revenue in the period, of which 37% was organic. So the additional growth coming from the acquisitions completed in year, being business-wise, GM, and also full-year contribution of LSI, which we acquired back in August 2020. That growth in revenue largely flowed through to EBITDA, PBT increasing by 94% in the period. And again, the PBT growth flowing through to adjusted diluted EPS. From a balance sheet and cash flow perspective, net debt increased in the year, finishing the year at 32.9 versus 18.8 to the start of the year. But the, the significance of the half year number at 30.2 is the driver of that increase in net debt was the deployment of capital into those two acquisitions in the first half of the year. Cash generation from operations in the period of 10.2 versus last year of 11.6, that growth in profit not necessarily flowing through into cash. And the reason for that is because of that acceleration in optimization, particularly in H2 and Q4 in particular, which drove an increase in receivables into the year end. In terms of an update on the position post-year end, of the 16.5 million of trade receivables at the year end, we've now collected in excess of 80% Q1 to date. 
and we expect to recover the balance within Q2 of H1 2022. The confidence in the cash performance following an abnormal trading period for working capital for optimization in 21 gives us that confidence to continue to maintain uh, the dividend growth, um, which which is in line with, with guidance. So in terms of the segmental breakdowns, so additional visibility that we now have enables investors, stakeholders, readers of our accounts to understand the different components of the business with each segment comprising of uh, different potential growth rates, different cash conversion metrics and different profit margins. So if we start with our energy solutions division, which breaks down into the energy assurance and energy optimization services. So 95% of the group revenues in the year came from the energy solutions division. 52% of which came from assurance services, 43% from optimization services. So I guess one question that people ask is, the other two segments effectively only contributing 5%, why are they reported segmentally? That's a reflection of the growth opportunity in those spaces, which we'll come on to. So assurance services delivering 20% revenue growth in the period of which 5% was organic with those three acquisitions that I referred to earlier primarily contribution to the assurance service line and margins remaining pretty constant in the period with that growth in revenue flowing through. Operating cash in the assurance division is consistently above 80% of EBITDA and that's been maintained in 2021 and that's despite the additional VAT payments that were made in this year in relation to the deferrals in Q2 2020 as a result of COVID. Optimization in excess of 100% growth in 21 to 2020, as I say, reflecting that rebound and acceleration throughout the period, all of which was organic. So what did that mean for profitability? Well, last year, optimization was loss-making because of the levels of disruption we had um, through the deferral of projects because of the inability to access client premises as uh, restrictions were lifted at the end of Q1. 2021 and we were able to progress those projects and then that further acceleration through um, strong underlying dynamics in that space with the increase in energy prices we saw um, a, that division contributed materially to EBITDA the group at 5 million compared to that loss of 0.5 last year with the cash flow point coming through and the fact that the division um, contributed effectively a, a, a cash outflow in the period because of that movement in receivables, which, as I said, has largely corrected itself in Q1 this year. Software solutions, so again, all organic, growing at 13% in the period. Strong margins, as you'd expect from the software business, as we kind of continue to receive the benefit of the operational leverage that we've built in that division. With cash conversion metrics, again, as you'd expect, at circa 100%. In the period ESG, so we doubled ESG revenues from a standing start in 2020 in this year, and we'll go on to kind of cover our expectations and growth expectations in that segment throughout the presentation. But still, the division, because of that investment and the investment we have a signal that we expect to continue to make in 22, um, the division effectively break even in, in the period. So, they're the key highlights. Thanks, Paul. Um, so I guess kind of in relation to um, making disclosures, financial disclosures, we're all used to presentations that take us through the financials are normal. 
as the world progresses, actually what organisations need to do more and more now is pay as much attention to their um, ESG disclosures as they do financial. So Inspired has been um, looking to lead the way in this, even though we're a relatively small organisation. So for us on the environmental side, the key thing is that every organisation should really be producing a carbon balance sheet. And that carbon balance sheet should be the tool that investors turn to to understand the performance of their portfolio companies in relation to the environmental part of the ESG wheel. So for Inspired, that carbon balance sheet breaks into three pieces. The first one is your full greenhouse gas inventory. There's a full 200, 300 page document that tells you how to do this. People sometimes think it's really hard, really complicated. Actually, you know what? If you just bite the bullet and manage the data, it's not that bad. So for Inspired, we do an all category production. And ultimately, whereas some organizations might talk about materiality as a way not to disclose something, actually, we look to disclose all of it. So I think ultimately for Inspired, what you can see, for, and I'll bring it to life on the next page, you'll see our full greenhouse gas inventory in accordance with the standard. The next part of our carbon balance sheet is really focused on our carbon cost of operations because not all of the carbon that's associated with our greenhouse gas inventory actually comes from operations. And this is really important because if every organization does this and they want to achieve carbon neutrality for not just themselves, but also for their supply chain, they can do this by investing in carbon offsets for this particular part of their carbon emissions. So by Inspired doing this, which we'll be doing this year, ultimately we can say to all of our customers, when you're making your carbon disclosure about your supply chain, you could put a zero in for Inspired. And that's a really important message in differentiating our services. The final piece of the carbon balance sheet for Inspired is really bringing to the life a nuance of greenhouse gas reporting, which is that as we deliver net zero carbon to our clients, actually our greenhouse gas inventory is going to keep going up. It can never go down because of the way you have to account for it. So what we do here is we talk about the actual benefits of our particular solutions for clients and what carbon investment we've made and what return on investment those clients have received. So to bring that to life for you and to draw some bits in the kind of way you should be looking at disclosures in relation to the environmental part of the ESG wheel, our green economy mark disclosure where it's based on the percentage of our revenues coming from green surface, that was 91% in 2020, 95% this year. If we think about our scope one, two emissions, which come out of our second reporting, which again, many organizations should do, on a per FTE basis, we've improved from 0.51 tons of CO2 equivalent for an FTE to 0.45. And then you can start to see some of the metrics in relation to our carbon balance sheet, where, as I mentioned, because we provide solutions to our clients, where we've gone from 9,000 tons to 16,000 tons, for us as inspired, as long as we're succeeding in helping our clients go to next zero, that particular number is just going to keep going up. However, when you look at our carbon cost of operations, they've come down from 6,000 tonnes to 5,500 tonnes, and that's what we're going to offset to make sure that we deliver solutions to our clients on a carbon-neutral basis. And finally, you've got the benefit we give our clients from our solutions, which is increased from 3,000 tonnes to 10,000 tonnes. So that's an idea of the granularity. You can see that in full in our ESG disclosures that will be available on our website. Same sort of thing for social value. 
making sure you put a full disclosure out. I won't dwell on this particularly, but this one would look at our gender pay gap and we would see that we've got a target for gender diversity of 37.5% across our organisation. We're compliant with that target at board level. We're compliant with that target at the operational levels, but we've still got some way to go in levels one to three, which are senior leadership levels. But again, the most important thing is that what analysts can now do, investors can now do, is really go and engage in this detail um, in our ESG disclosure and our TCFD disclosure, just in the same way as you would in the reports and accounts for the financial metrics. So moving on then, we've looked at the financials, we've looked at ESG. Um, what we're going to do now is really focus on our business and value proposition. I'm going to invite Dave to take you through that. Great, thanks Mark. So, how do we describe our organisation today? So, you've heard us use before is this technology-enabled service provider. That's the important bit. This is, as you grow to scale, it has to be backed by a sound technology um, platform. We operate working for around 3,500 UK businesses. Many of those are household names, but also ranging from public sector to private sector. Cornwall Insights, the independent um, organisation, uh, rate uh, inspired as their tier one because of our size and our scale. We're almost double the size of the next uh, nearest competitor. So we are the operator of size within this uh, market. In terms of that scale, we're not a supplier. But of course, if we were to compare ourselves like that, we would actually be supplying the equivalent of 6.7% of the energy in the UK market. What's the opportunity then for Inspired? Well, the first building block, of course, is this non-discretionary purchasing. If you're a business, you have to buy energy. You have to buy on a contract. Those contracts will come around for renewal, depending on how long you sign up for, one, two or three years time. But it's non-discretionary. At some stage, that contract is due for renewal. And that's where Inspired can help customers to buy their energy the right way. Market size of about 0.4 billion. Once you're buying right and accounting for it right, there are then the disclosures that have to be made, the regulatory disclosures. Again, non-discretionary. If you're over a certain size, you have to comply with them. We collect a lot of the data already that makes the transition into making those regulatory disclosures on behalf of our clients uh, that much of a more natural step. Once you've got to the stage where you're measuring it, you're monitoring it, and you're buying it right, then the question is, how do we reduce? How do we optimize how much the clients actually use? Reducing energy, so energy management as a service. Organizations can't afford always to have dedicated resources focused on energy and energy reduction. That's where we come in, providing that as a service to them. Of course, as I say, all of this then is backed up by robust software that takes the unstructured data records it and makes it easily auditable, traceable and usable. Given as an overall market size of £2.5 billion worth of uh, potential. How do we interact with our clients? Well, that depends very much who you are and what you care about. If it's a CFO, typically they're caring about the cost. If it's an energy manager or facilities manager, they're focused on units of consumption. If it's compliance, it could be the CEO or the risk uh, head of risk. He's worrying about complying and making sure that they are uh, complying with all the regulation. And of course, everybody now is concerned about the carbon and the environmental impact of that. So how does that kind of map out against Inspire's products? 
Well, if we take those four pillars of cost, consumption, carbon, and compliance, depending on what it is that your business does or how you use energy or how important it is to you, then there's a product that will suit almost every customer, every business right across the board, able to address one or more of those four scenes. Uh, so how does that actually work out in practice? So this is a real example of a client of Inspired. We started in January 17, looking after assurance services for them. So procurement, bill validation, making sure that their bills are right. It's fair to say that on average, there's about a 6% error rate on invoices. Now, of course, the vast majority of bills are right. So that means there's some pretty big errors on some energy invoices and therefore being able to capture those at source, really important. We've delivered significant benefit to this customer, 10.5 million through those services, through the procurement and the validation services. We added water to our services, increasing our fee. Very shortly after we took the client on, a further 1.8 million pounds worth of benefit. We then go through into 18. We added the services of ESOS and SECA, those regulatory reporting and the compliance side of that, adding a further £20,000 to fees. We then did exactly as our plan says. We go into the optimization services. We've invested about £6 million on their behalf so far, put a further £8 million in the pipeline, looking for energy savings, typically ranging around 30%. We carry on then. Now we've this trusted advisor status. to working with their TCFD and their ESG disclosures, again, a further £40,000 each on those two elements of that journey. So recurring fees increased from 160000 in the start of the contract, doubled now to 320000 over the four years, with a £14 million worth of revenue on the optimization services. So just one example of how that uh, working together with a client can expand across the full range of services from Inspire. Thanks, David. Um, so now you've got a flavour as to what the organisation does and how we do it, and that value proposition that we can deliver to clients, noting that that's really been four years in the making. So people have been asking us to illustrate that client journey for a long time, but ultimately it's only through the steps we've taken in terms of really expanding the service vision that we've taken that from an idea back in 2017 to really something which is um, there to be expanded across the client base. And I would say overall, we're probably only 6% penetrated in terms of the surface area of our client base so far. And that really plays into the strategy that we have. So if we think about the actual growth potential of the organization, you've got those four elements to it. And as Paul pointed out earlier, the energy solutions division represents 95% of the business. And that's got two parts. You've got the highly penetrated assurance service division, which is going to deliver typically 5 to 7% organic growth, but a really strong EBITDA margin. You've got the optimization service division having a 40% share of revenues, doing 15 to 25% organic growth and a 20% EBITDA margin. And you've got the ESG solutions division, which we've added in now 1% of revenues, but should, as it reaches maturity, deliver around about a 40% with our margin. And then finally, you've got software solutions division, 4% of revenues, 10 to 20% organic growth, delivering circa 75% with our margin. And what we hope is the power of the segmental reporting now, the transparency we're able to give, will really help investors to see more clearly 
the progress we're making when we're executing our strategy. What we can also do now is really articulate much more effectively our organic growth engine. So if we look at that kind of organic growth flywheel, it all starts with units of opportunity. Those units of opportunity are our points of carbon emission. So if our raison d'etre is to help clients manage their journey to net zero and their response to climate change, then we need to be able to influence those points of carbon emission. So we spend a lot of time increasing our access to those. So what you would find is we do that by field sales in terms of energy and ESG. We have a forensic audit team which really go out there and on a contingent fee basis find historical errors which releases money from our clients' balance sheet to give them some seed capital to start to make this difference. We get access to more opportunities from our software as a service business, as you've seen with the acquisition of digital energy today. And then also just general acquisitions of BusinessWise and GEM, they brought more and more units of opportunity to the organization. As we increase those units of opportunity, the key thing then is to add value to them. And we do that through the technology-enabled services which are based on the management of the client's energy cost equation or making their ESG disclosures. By doing this, we manage large amounts of unstructured data. That unstructured data management really um, relieves a headache from the customers. It allows us to interact widely across the organization with respect to the four C's, as Dave took you through, and that um, really um, helps us gain trusted advisor status so that then we earn the right to actually make a difference to the client. And we do that by then providing the services that actually reduce energy consumption, increase efficiency, reduce carbon emission, and make a real impact. And we're going to do that through carbon action programs, through behavioral change, through adding energy efficiency, renewable investment. And then finally, as we spoke about with respect to the carbon balance sheet, really making sure that where a client wants to become carbon neutral, we can procure the correct offsets for them to be able to do that. We also then acquire in this space to increase our capability to have more ways of reducing carbon for our clients. Once we're kind of focused on making impacts on the environmental side, which we're already geared up to do, we can turn our attention to making impacts on other parts of the ESG wheel. So whether that be waste, whether it be supply chain management, those are all things that we can start to develop in the future to continue to make more impacts to add more value to the client. One of the key things as we're doing this growth, so increasing our use of opportunity, increasing the amount of data and services that we produce in relation to that data to the clients, then making a difference in carbon reduction. The key thing is that we make it as effective as possible, and that's underpinned by proprietary technology, so the business isn't scaling purely as a consultancy with body heat, What how we scale is ultimately providing advisory insights on the back of data management. So that investment in technology becomes really important. So we continue to enhance that investment and provide more and more solutions to our clients. And then finally, we focus on reducing the cost of delivering services to those units of opportunity. So we do that by robotic process automation, making things more effective. And where we can't improve it by the use of robotics, we will utilize our operation center in Mumbai, gives us a time difference advantage so we can improve the quality of our service, improve our SLAs, driving that cost down. When you drive that cost down, it gives you more money to invest in, guess what, increasing units of opportunity, and it goes around in that virtuous circle. So if that's the way the organic growth engine works, um, we're also then backed by acquisitive growth, and you've seen this story from us a number of times, 18 acquisitions in its float, 
we've got attractive multiples that we can buy at and M&A remains a key focus of our strategy. We're sized to deliver three to five transactions a year. I guess kind of in the course of this year, we've done even one small one so far. And ultimately, with some of the macroeconomic challenges, we may be in a position where actual acquisitive activity focuses more towards the back end of the year or into early next. But from that point of view, I guess the track record speaks for itself, deploying an average of £15 million of capital per year over the last five years. The final bit of our thesis is really speaking to the investment we're making in ESG. So if we think about and remind ourselves about the environment, we've got investors, ESG is now non-discretionary. The ratings agencies arguably haven't been doing such a good job because there's lots of inconsistency. So investors are increasingly making direct inquiry of their portfolio companies. That splits mainly into public interest companies or portfolio companies who've got mandatory obligations in relation to SECA, ESOS and TCFD. And we have that as inspired. It'll become mandatory for us next year. We're voluntary at the moment. And then when you're making those mandatory disclosures, it's not actually a lot of extra work to make a full ESG disclosure. And what's useful about that is when I get kind of 15, 16 inquiries from investors each year um, about our ESG credentials, I can actually refer to a consistent document and they can refer to it. So there's a very clean, transparent way of communicating what we're doing. Obviously, all these disclosures require an inquiry of your supply chain. So if you want to work for a number of large customers now, you have to make disclosures to them about your ESG credentials. So the services are not just to those who've got the mandatory obligation, it's also to those entire supply chains. If we look at what that means in terms of us, as Dave mentioned, it's a £1.2 billion market. If we just looked at the client base that Inspired has in those sections, then ultimately, if we could 100% penetrate our client base, that would be a £43 million growth in our revenue line just on ESG disclosure services. Noting that actually we're finding that ESG disclosure services are a really good way to onboard new clients um, as well as benefit existing clients. So the service area of this opportunity is huge. Last year, we proved concept, and we did that by financing it from our operational leverage. The reality, though, is that the time to actually accelerate growth in this marketplace is now. It's time-banded. And as such, this year, we propose to make a £1.5 million EBITDA investment, if you like, in relation to really growing this part of the organisation. So to show you where we are, we've had 219 clients in 2021 take some form of ESG service, but the higher value ones where we're doing carbon balance sheet and ESG reporting, we've had 31 clients take an element of those. And we resourced that by a headcount of around about nine people and some support from shared services across the organisation. That's given a million pound of revenue. By making the investment we're proposing to make in 2022, we're aiming over the next five years to take that to 600 clients. That will underpin a resource and headcount of around about 100, and that should give us 10 to 15 million pounds additional revenue by 2026. So we've got the strong organic growth engine, and it's all about execution. We've got the um, the ability to continue acquisitive growth and we've got a great track record and now it's about really seizing the opportunity provided by um, the need for organizations to make ESG disclosure in the marketplace and we're really excited about those. So outlook going forward, 
you know, look, there's a lot going on in the world. Managing the energy crisis, which has been exacerbated by the war in Ukraine, you know, that's what we're here to do to help our clients through that. And so that's a key focus and we don't lose sight of adding that value in the short term. We're going to be really focused on delivering optimization services and that cross-sell to our clients. One way to mitigate um, the, the, the kind of energy crisis is to focus on those projects where paybacks have literally halved. Um, so from that perspective, we're going to continue making sure we make the most of the opportunity, scaling those software solutions that underpin our service provision, getting double bang for our buck on that capital investment, and then finally accelerating ESG growth where we're making an investment in it. The time is now to do that. And it represents, for me personally, the most exciting opportunity I've seen since I've entered this market all the way back in, in 2000. Q1 2022, trading line with expectations. Um, excited by um, some of the things we're seeing there. Yes, there's, there's kind of macroeconomic backdrops to that, but so far it's started as, as well as we could have expected. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.